0: We're going to Hebrews chapter twelve, so I'm really going to just talk about two verses today. We're going to keep this uh, simple in its uh, presentation as as it regard regarding these two passages of scripture. But in order to set this up, I want you to know um, I love the Olympics. Like it's you know it only comes every four years and those random sports that don't get the recognition that they deserve. I mean, where else are you going to go to watch a guy on a with a giant stick launch himself twenty feet into the air, right? And over uh, over another stick in order to to win a gold medal, or or a guy that can just chuck a giant stone, you know, so many yards and and celebrate that. I mean, the, the randomness of the Olympics and to watch someone uh, tailor their 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 skills towards a particular craft is just in, incredible to me i, I remember uh, as a as a young person you know i've i've watched the olympics for last I don't know, 30 years ago, I think I, my, my love for it started to grow, and, and, um, and seeing athletes like Carl Lewis and Jackie Joyner-Kersey and Rulon Gardner and Mia Hamm, I mean, it was it, it's exciting to see. I think one of my favorite athletes during the Atlanta Olympics, I don't know if you remember this one, Michael Johnson, I mean, this guy was so bold, he was so uh, so confident in his ability. The man wore golden shoes as he ran around the track in the 400-meter, 200-meter, breaks the world record in both of that and the Olympic record. Uh, just, I, I just remember as a kid being captivated about it, you know, you kind of dream your dreams, uh, Bruce Springsteen in the background bar in the U.S. you know, whatever, just that's going to be me. And you know, I was on a podium getting a gold medal one day. There's the, the patriotism. I think of what Olympics were as diminished in, in what it was in the past, but, or how about this one? You can't forget about the dream team. We're talking about John Stockton, right? <laughs> and Carl Malone and, and all, all the, the, the two jazz players along with the rest of them, they're not as important as the jazz players, but, but there they are, right? And then, you know, watching the Olympics and all these wonderful sports, something began to happen to me. I started to get older <laughs> and I realized my opportunity for a gold medal is diminishing, right? But then redemption happened in the form of the Winter Olympics, and lo and behold, I was introduced into my new favorite athlete, Matt Hamilton, of the curling team. And my dream lives on, right? I mean, uh, Matt Hamilton's the guy on the right sporting the incredible stash there. Any guy wearing that on the world stage, right, you know, so I was like, just shave. He's like, no, there is some confidence in that guy right there. Matt Hamilton has has redeemed my opportunity to win the Olympics. And so the Olympics for me, uh, it's, a, it's a joy to watch that. But, you know, it's, it's been something in history that I think people have been... Uh, captivated by. Uh, the Olympics go back to the um, pre-Jesus days and the, the competitions that, uh, that took place and how uh, the Greeks and the Romans, they, they, they pursued athletic contests, not just for physical well-being, but there was also honor in their towns and countries as they competed for the glory for the local places in which they represented in these games. And it's on the backdrop of the thought of the possibility right of of winning gold medals that and competing and the honor that's there uh, that the author of hebrews writes hebrews chapter 12 and he starts it off this way he says therefore summary word right now in light of everything that you've heard therefore since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us Talking to you and I as believers in Christ, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so in easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. You know, when I when I think about this this verse, I'm like, you've got me until the word endurance, because like, I don't know. I'm like sometimes I'll just joke with my wife. I'm like, how do you want me to walk around today? Like this, like this, or like this? You know, it's like I don't have the endurance I used to have. I just humiliated myself in public there, but. But we t- talking about endurance I and mean, it's, it's, it's recognizing that there is some effort that takes place in, in, in what's being discussed here and, and, and running, running with endurance is this idea of a summary from chapter one to chapter 11. We've seen in these chapters the, the beauty of who Christ is and what that represents for you. And if you're just joining us, I'm, I'm sorry to just rudely put this in a summary for you because the, uh, the picture of Hebrews is incredible for the life of a Christian and, and what is communicated to us is that everything in the past that, that you see in the Old Testament was a shadow. Colossians 2 talks about that. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 24 talks about that. It is a shadow of something greater that is coming. And what is coming is Jesus. And Jesus is the fulfillment of all those things. Jesus is prophet, priest, and king. Jesus is temple, Sabbath, and sacrifice. Jesus fulfills the law. Jesus is all of it. And he established the new covenant that we could come into relationship with him. All of it culminates in Christ. And the purpose for which we are created is to know Jesus as he desires to make himself known in our lives. We're created for relationship in Christ. And so all of Hebrews is painting this picture of the beauty of who Christ is, it is fueling the fire for us in passion in Jesus and now it's saying, in Christ now, run and the picture for us is in the middle of this stadium being surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses knowing that now now is your race Run this race with endurance. <laughs> some people have wondered, "What do people do in heaven?" Right? <laughs> um, and and they've actually used this verse to sort of illustrate some of the thoughts of what people might do in heaven. And they take this word witness. And they sort of make it mean spectator. Now, I want us to know that's not the only thing it means. But but just think about this the, for a minute. What, what do people do in heaven? The picture is sort of like. Here are all of these saints. That you've just read about them in chapter 11. And they're this cloud of witnesses now. They've run their race. And now here they are. As you step into the arena. And you begin to run your race. You've been surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. And people, people often ask, do, do people in heaven, are they aware of, of what we are doing on earth? Right? And I think Peter, in First Peter chapter 1, verse 12, he talks about uh, even the angels long to look into what God is doing in, in the course of history. And we, we as individuals, we think about Jesus and his faithfulness in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8. It says, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Um, so we, I think as, as human beings, we are seeing unfold. I think we'll be completely aware of the course of history, how God has laid out his redemption story. Because it would ultimately inspire the praise of his people for him in all of eternity. So I don't think people who have gone before us are ignorant of what has taken place in the the course of history. I think think they're aware of it to the glory of God. In fact, if I use a proof text, I would say um, not so much Hebrews 12, but I think Matthew chapter 17, when the disciples went with Jesus to the Mount of Transfiguration. It talks about Moses and Elijah coming down and conversing with Jesus. A couple interesting things you can learn from that passage secondhand, that, that one, they recognized Moses and Elijah. So how could they recognize Moses and Elijah after they've passed? I think Moses and Elijah had a form that represented what they looked like in their earthly bodies as they walked in this, in this world. And so they recognize Moses um, and Elijah and, and, and also Moses and Elijah are talking to Jesus about his story of redemption. What he's accomplishing in history for us in this moment. So much of the di- disciples said, can we put up three pillars to rem- remember this? And in Israel's history, when something monumental happened in their lives, they would do something in order to commemorate that moment that day because it created, it helped shape an identity of who they were. I think it's important for your families. Like, I, I don't think it's good to become legalistic and just, and just create a bunch of rules and then sort of forget the reason why you do the things that you do. I think it's important to be intentional in the, in the way that you do things. But there are things that happen in the history of your family that sort of define why your family is the way that they are. And hopefully hopefully those those things are, are refined in Jesus, right? But I think it's important to go back and remember those moments that helped shaped where you are today or who you are today. And, and the, the disciples are doing the same thing in Matthew chapter 17, but they're, they're teaching us about the picture of those that have gone before us. And here they are talking with Jesus, aware of the circumstance. And so when I think about people that have gone on into eternity, are, are they aware of what happens today? I think so. But I also want us to know that I wouldn't use this verse to primarily teach that. Uh, I think it's important to say, okay, there are witnesses. And so the word witness can be translated spectator but there's there's a little more to this idea of witness. I and mean, you think about this for a minute. The author just said, you're in an arena and everyone's looking at you, right? Like uh, for what? You know, it's like put me in the. Re- I mean, 20 years ago, maybe I could have come in with a close to last finish that wouldn't have looked so bad. But but we're talking about competing today. It's like I know I'm going to get 10 feet across that line. And I'm going to pull a hammy. You know, this is this is not going good. Is, is there a heavier weight running class I can go in because I've not trained for this? There, it's so great a cloud of witnesses, and they're just clapping. They're like, I'll just cheer him on. You know, do you think he's going to cross even the finish line? I don't know. (laughs) Let's just, let's just hope he doesn't pull a a muscle or break a leg and doing what he's going to do. You know, I think about when I was a younger kid competing in athletics, like in football, I could break an arm, man. I break an arm and I'm like, I'm in, just put me in coach, you know, just running. Now, now I get a hang now. I'm like, I'm out. (laughs) Oh Lord, it hurts. You know, I'm not running this race. Um, But when it talks about such a great cloud of witnesses, this is where it becomes important for us because this word witness doesn't just mean spectator. It's actually where uh, we get the English word for martyr. And what it's actually saying in this passage of scripture is they're not bearing witness of us, but rather bearing witness to us. This great cloud of witnesses are surrounding the arena to, to bear witness to us that Jesus is faithful and we are able in Him to finish this race. It's not about your strength, it's about His. So you think about the, the pressure of what this moment could be without the understanding of witness. It's saying, okay, all these people in Hebrews chapter 11, they ran the race. Look at them, they're spiritual giants. And now they put you in. What are you gonna do? Everyone's watching. The weight of the world is on your shoulders. How are you gonna do that? You train for this. I'm gonna have the strength for this. And the witnesses are saying, we know. That's why we're here to cheer you on. Not to find the strength within yourself, but to see that as we trusted in Jesus, he supplied what we needed. And now we're not here to bear witness of what you're doing. We're here to bear witness of what Jesus has done. You can run this race. You can cross that finish line. So let's just specifically ask them, because this text sort of unfolds that for us. How how do we run the race before us? Because what this verse is is saying to you is um, put your neck out, strive, lay it all on the line in His grace. Display the glory of who Christ is. How do we run the race? You know, the imagery for which the author selected here, I, I love because in the days of the early church, you think there's no internet, and you could just say, no, no joke there. There's no cell phones, you know that. But, I mean, there's, there's not a lot of easy avenues to get news, you know? Um. There's not a lot of large places for gathering. They, they did have some in the culture of this day, but by far, the largest place you could go to meet, meet people and to rub shoulders and to enjoy company, it, it, was, it was at these games. And the, in fact, the political leaders knew it too. And if they wanted to 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 share new news from the emperor, if they had some kind of platform they wanted to promote, everyone knew. If you wanted to know the latest and greatest things happening in Rome, the place that you would assemble is it's at the Olympic Games. As you gather together, everyone is there, right? And so everyone would gather, and then in would walk the dignitaries or the leaders of the area or or over the region, or or sometimes if it was important enough, the leader of leaders. They would they would come to these games and. Everyone would watch and look because he was the one that, that provided what it took to have this competition to begin with. And, and when he would gather, he would stand in a prominent place and he would use this as an opportunity to share recent news with the, with the people at the games. That's how, how everything spread in the society. And when the athletes would come on to the field for the competition, they would come before the leader and they would dedicate that competition for his glory. And so here you see in Hebrews Chapter 12, now the, the imagery of all of that, rather than doing it for the, for the cause of man, he's, he's lifting it and elevating it beyond that scope to the idea of, of living your life in light of God's So How do we run the race that's before us? And In Hebrews chapter 12, verses one and two, it, it says this. It says, therefore, since we have all have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance, And the sin which so easily entangles us. And let us run with endurance the race that is before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. And these verses, he's really outlining for us three ideas. He's saying, it's about understanding that all this happens in this arena for the glory of God. Your competition, your race running, it's not about you, it's not about your strength. Is understand that it is this king that's even provided the platform to have opportunity to live for him in his glory today. Like God didn't owe me today. In fact, God doesn't owe me anything. And here I am on his platform in, in this moment to run a race for, for his glory and then he, he sort of, in that thought of running the race, he positions that statement between uh, two ideas to lay aside the encumbrance and sin in order to run and to ultimately look to Jesus. He is not just the one we live for, he is the finish line itself. What does it look like for us to lay aside the encumbrances and sin? how was that modeled in our life? You know, if I, if I thought about it specifically in, in these chapters that we've read together, you know, I think in the life of, of the Jews as this was written, the thing that would hinder them from running that race was unbelief. Right? They held on to the past that they were familiar with, the religious legalistic living as pressure was applied to them from the relationships they had in life. And because of that, they walked in unbelief of what Jesus has done for them on the cross. And, and so they, they moved into religious way of thinking rather than into Christ himself. But you know, that's, that's just the context in, in their circumstance, in all of us. The reason we pursue anything other than Jesus is because of unbelief. We think the truth of who God is doesn't compare to the, to the lie that might promise us or we hope that it would deliver us more. And so we walk in the lie rather than in the truth of who Jesus is. And in the sin of unbelief, lacking of faith in Christ, we pursue the other things in this world and, and we find ourselves encumbered in sin. Even in the life of a Christian and running this race, I mean, it, it can be a place of humbleness in us, really. I think of, you know, my new favorite athlete, Matt Hamilton. <laughs> Run the race with endurance. Like I saw pictures of Matt Hamilton. Hey, he's, he does not make, he's made for this, and this. <laughs> you know, all the, just the two curling moves, that's it. Sweeping the ice and pushing the little, that's not endurance, right? I mean, you can have a nice out-of-shape body, Round is a shape, right? So, <clears throat> run the race with endurance. It can be timid. Stacking, sticking your neck out for Christ. Trusting in the sufficiency of his grace. And sometimes Christians, I think, start off in faith and, and then we, we begin to live this world as if Satan is bigger than Jesus. <laughs> Like uh it's all it's all heading nowhere fast. It's just darkness and doomsday before us, right? I'm gonna hunker down and just hold on to my Jesus. And then you read verses like 1 John chapter four and verse four, says, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. And if you looked at 1 John four and you saw what that sandwiched around, it's around false teachers influencing society around you. And in the middle of those statements and trying the spirits of whether they are God because many false prophets are going in the world, it gives this statement on the backdrop that greater is he who is in you than he who's in the world. What in the world are you hiding from, Right? Uh, understanding what Jesus has done. I, I mean, I, I know my favorite verse in scripture when I think about living in light of Jesus is absolutely Matthew 16, 18. That we would storm down the gates of hell. And you think about the power of what that is with the f- mighty fortress. I mean, that's just, it's like a castle and the, the gates of hell. And you think about that fortress that is, that is that representation. And Jesus is like, yeah, you're storming it down. And when he makes that statement, he's making it with just a handful of his disciples outside of a temple in which they're worshiping pagan gods in in, um, hellish deities. And imagine, you're like, I'm a fisherman with just a little education, and Jesus is going crazy, right? That's what he's getting us to understand in running, running this race. Or the idea of the other side of this as a believer is um, you're, you're confident in what Jesus has done in you, but then your confidence switches from Christ and it starts resting on you. Like, okay, now it's all on my shoulders. And so I'm going to do this. And you start just loading yourself up on all these tasks and running yourself into the ground. And guys, you know, I've shared with us in those last couple weeks, weeks especially, You're not going to get to the end of your life and God's not going to be like, ah, you know what? You only accomplished 30 of the 7,000 things I wanted you to do. I'm going to have to send you back down there. You've got 6,970 to go, you know? That's not what he's after. God knows where you're at. God knows the way he's gifted you. God knows the struggles you face and the triumphs that you climb and celebrate. He knows all that. His expectation isn't this punch card to do list in order to receive his love. He's already given his love. His expectation is just you, it's your faithfulness as he has demonstrated himself faithfully. Jesus is after your heart. And here's the reality, guys. When Jesus gets your heart, he changes your life. See, it's saying to us in this passage that um, fix our eyes on Jesus. Notice it doesn't say fix your eyes on the 7,000 things you need to accomplish. Our, our Our goal is not obedience. That sounds crazy, doesn't it? Our goal this morning is not obedience. Our goal is Jesus. When your goal is Jesus, the results can be obedience and they should be modeling Christ in this world. But we don't make the goal itself just simply doing good. Because you can run that race all day long and never know Jesus. Jesus. In fact, Matthew chapter seven and verse 24 and 25, Jesus, Jesus is having this illustration here and he's saying, many will come to me and say in that day, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name? Do we not cast out demons? Do we not do many wonderful works in your name? And Jesus says, depart from me. I never knew you. The goal isn't Obedience. The goal is Jesus. The result is obedience. Like anything like this as a parent. You can force your kids to obey, but never get their heart. But if you get their heart, they respond in joy to obey. you think about running this race it is so important those first 11 chapters to let that saturate your soul and the sufficiency of Christ purpose fuels passion you see the reason for which you were created. I'm created to belong. There's no one that's ever pursued me to this degree that's ever loved me at the depth that Jesus loves me. And now is my moment to just respond to my life in love and return because of what Christ has done. And in walking in that relationship and faithfulness to him, the, the fruit of my life, the result of my life, it, it, it's obedience, but, but it was never the goal. The goal is Jesus. That's why Paul says, Galatians 2.20, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, it's not I who live, but Christ who lives in me. I like uh, the way Amy Carmichael said it. She says it like this. It's possible to give and not and not Love but it's impossible to truly love and not give. Our goal, our finish line, is Christ. Now you put this in the context of athletic games that we see today on television. Suppose for a moment, an athlete steps on the field, and all of a sudden, he stops listening to the coach and the objective of the game, and and all of a sudden he starts to listen to the opinion of everyone else in the stands. <laughs> you imagine 20,000, 30,000 people and the voices that are spoken just get amplified, opinion after opinion. And here you are finding yourself on this field trying to run this race. And, and all of a sudden you're, you're just lost in the, in the intents and the purposes. And the, that you forget the goal and you start to, 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 to fumble and to bumble as, as you move forward. Can I tell you, in living here in Utah, one of the privileges I've had opportunity to do is meet with many of pastors and just church planters and encourage them where they are in their lives. And um, one of the biggest reasons I've found that people get discouraged on mission field or in ministry, is they start listening to the 10,000 opinions, and they stop losing sight of why. because your why matters. Why do you do what you do? Your purpose fuels your passion. I can tell you in my own life when I face adversity and obstacles my heart runs to some specific places in this valley. Because I, I have programmed my brain to say, Nathaniel, when you face hardships, and I, just so you know, I'm, I'm never leaving this place, All right, so body bag is how you get me to go. But, but when I think um, about the obstacles that I have seen in ministry, there's a place that I just come to within my, my life. Physically, I go there to let my heart resonate on the why. Now look, you, you can't control your context. You can't dictate what happens, Right? but to understand that this is your time to run the race, to meet Jesus face to face and say, look, God, I, I wasn't in control of the results. You were. Right? But I'm faithful. I want to be faithful. I, I didn't take... My eyes off in fact this this idea of looking unto Jesus is this sustained looking in your life it 's this committing over and over as to the objective that you uh, desire to achieve in jesus this this race of endurance and he goes on a little further and says it like this, fixing your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who, for the joy set before him, endured this, the cross, despising the shame, he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. I mean you saw all the. Ex- in, in Hebrews chapter 11 of faithfulness but Jesus is the ultimate example and he's describing Christ as enduring all the things that he went through in life for what the ultimate goal and what was the ultimate goal it was the story of redemption being told as he was faithful to relationship in the father for your benefit the story of redemption being worked out. And now when I think about running this race, faithfulness, it's God's story of redemption being worked out in, in my life and others than being simply on, having a, a front row to see how God does that in me and through me as I faithfully walk in light of who he is. When I think of church history and those that stand of examples of faithfulness in adversity, one... One that I love is a lady by the name of Amy Carmichael. Uh, she was born in 1867. I believe she lived into the 1950s, and, and she was influenced. Um, I think it was uh, Hudson Taylor that influenced her life and she tried to become a missionary to China and she was actually turned down because she had a, a lot of health problems. And she ends up, she didn't give up, she, went, uh, she decided that God was still leading her on the mission field. She ends up in India um, caring for orphaned children in some of the most horrific uh, conditions. And her influence and impact is incredible, so much so that the children she raised today are still alive and now carrying that work on in, in India. But when she thinks about the running the race, I mean, she takes the end of Hebrews chapter 12 and her thought, look, look at this quote. When I consider the cross of Christ, how can anything that I do be called a sacrifice? In comparison to seeing the way Jesus loved us, the depth that he has gone, there in no way, when I'm running that race, would it ever relate to anything Christ has done? How much easier it is for me to respond in, a love that is, uh, in love to a God that has loved me to that depth. It's not so much a sacrifice as it is a joy. And Amy Carmichael understood this to the point that in order to relate to the people in India, she would actually take baths. She would she would stain her skin in, in coffee grounds in, in order to, to look more in dark and darken complexion, to better relate to the people and reach these kids. I mean she went to extremes so much so they say at the end of her life, the last twenty years, she spent most of it bedridden but refused to give up. She ran with endurance. I am not Amy Carmichael in India. I am Nathaniel Wall in Utah, right? So what does that look like? And you think about making application here. What does your race look like? If you're gonna run this with endurance, what, what does your race look like, right? The goal for all of us, the goal never changes. But the context can the context of your life, the seasons that you go through can be different. What does your race look like? Before spouse, before kids, how do you run that race? In your job, in your church, in your community, how do people see you run that race? Do they see you as a Jesus runner? Your goal never changes, but your context does. Can I, can I tell you one of the things I've really appreciated over the last year or so here at ABC is that when we first started our church, um, we had a you know a gamut of different people, but mostly I think what we had was um, uh, parents with young families. Right? And... Um, And I think they're the only ones crazy enough to jump on board there in the beginning. We had more than that, but but I think that was predominantly how our church started with that demographic. But as we've moved forward and seen stability, one of the things I've really enjoyed even over the last year or two is seeing how our age demographics have moved away from that. And now all of a sudden it's like the last year or two we've seen um, more in the uh, young adult age. And then some of our wiser, senior, I'm not going to call you guys older, um, but you're wiser and, and, and more experienced in life and, and how beautiful that is for the church. Because when you think about running this race, here's what you need. You need people before you that have run that race. Hebrews 11 shows that. You've been surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Run this race with endurance. I, mean, I can tell you as a young guy, when you go through the first thing first, things in your life for the first time, it is a great time to spaz and freak out. And then you look at some of the older generations are like, Oh yeah, that happened to me 17 times. And you're like, wait a minute. Did you spaz? Like I'm spazzing. Cause this happened, happened to me right now. And it seems like everyone should always panic when they go through this, you know, and, and wisdom in life teaches you that thing. So you think in a church, the healthy context, the beauty of what God does here is when you get someone in, in, in their twenties and they're thinking about the next step of life, how, you have opportunity people in the 30s and 40s to pour right into that when you get to 40s and 50s different, different context a different way of running the race what does that look like? man don't isolate yourself because there's, there's someone here that's run that race all the way into, into the older generations and, and guys I want to tell you in, in our state we, ha- we are a young state if there's anything to honor in life it's those golden years any wisdom to glean from Any people to just elevate, honor, listen to, respect. Don't waste those resources. It's an opportunity that God's placed before us by the great cloud of witnesses to run this race. What is the context of your race? Can I? Can I get specific here? I know I need to close. Let me just get specific for just a minute. I I, want to, ladies. I want to kind of leave you out for a second, but I I just want to. I wanna talk to our men. Man, I I wanna encourage you to run this race with endurance. When men do what they're supposed to do, women and children shouldn't have to worry. God calls us to run, guys listen, with endurance to the benefit of your family and those around you, those under your influence for the cause of Christ. Women, God made you strong. But men, I, I really want to highlight the fact that God made, you, God made you strong. In fact, when you look at the curse in the Garden of Eden, he's talking about the fur of your brow, the sweat, right? Uh, and, and the tilling of the ground. And when God made us, he said, be fruitful, multiply, and subdue the world. That is, that is a blessing to the society around you. So understand that God made you strong and to reflect his glory in this world. And when we don't, when we use, our, use the strength that God gave us for our own personal glory, what ends up happening is we rape the world. We use everything that God has created for his glory to the benefit of others for our own glory and we pillage and rape the world for our own purposes and pleasures, whether it be money, power, fame, sexuality... And that is, that is the curse of sexuality in our culture is that we treat women like tools rather than the human beings created in God's image. And that's because men take the strength that God has given them. And they use it for their own glory. When we run this race for God's glory, it's to the benefit of the world around us. So what is the context of your race? This is a good spot for just a course correction, readjust, think of life before those that God desires in your context to honor in this season of life. Relationship to spouse, kids, church, community, job, whatever it is, you've been surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Run this race with endurance looking unto Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. He is the goal. This message has been brought to you by Alpine Bible Church in Lehigh, Utah. If you'd like more information, please visit us online at alpinebible.com.